I think that with everything that you do, you have to look at it as an experience and learn from any mistake that you ever make in the business because that is a growth for you to do better. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on, how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person, but it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with you know the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the best ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend him. I've worked with him before. I'm currently working with him right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take him up on his offer. Get a free coaching session, coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners. Hello, hello. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is the show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We get straight to the real estate advice that moves your business forward. We don't deal with kind of that back and forth bantry thing. We just get straight to it. So that being said, let me introduce today's best ever guest. How you doing, Tamaro Mutri? I'm doing fine. And yourself? I'm doing just fine as well. Good to meet you and looking forward to hearing your story and your background and your advice. A little bit about Tamaro and then she'll get into it in more detail. She is the owner and broker at Georgia's Best Real Estate Services, as well as the owner and broker for Milwaukee's Best Real Estate Services. She's a landlord, a rehabber, a property manager, an investor, and if that's not enough, then she's also a licensed notary for the state of Wisconsin. She works with top agents across the nation, and she splits her time between Atlanta and Milwaukee. With that being said, Tamara, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Well, again, my background is pretty much working with real estate investors. Uh, that's my cream of the crop clientele. I work with anyone, but it seems as though I'm stuck working with investors simply because I love the repeat buyers. I like helping them with their properties. I do a lot of property management and I work with people all over the different states, out of state and absentee landlords. So I'm helping them to buy and rehab those properties and also help them manage those properties as well. So you're helping investors find properties that they can rehab and, and turn for profit, right? Yep, absolutely. Some of these people are looking for buy and holds. And they also have other investment strategies where I can help them with new construction, flips, uh, properties they can fix up and possibly have me relist them back on the market for sale for a retail buyer. When you look at your business and the type of clients that you have with investors, uh, I've always wondered, 
the pros and cons for if you're a real estate agent or, or broker, why, uh, I guess the pros and cons for having a clientele that would be a, a primary residence clientele with more luxury homes versus working with investors. Have you taken a look at both sides of that? Well, I think it's kind of few and far between when you're looking at those types of clientele. I think more so I'm inclined to lean a little bit more toward working with investors simply because they always come back to you. You realize that if you're working with a luxury clientele, that that's that one shot deal. Yes, you can get referrals. However, that's only one deal you're working with. You know, we get one commission from that one deal, but then that's it. But with an investor, I mean, I've, I've been in a situation where I've had a buyer tell me, okay, I want to buy this property. We're at the closing. And then with, before a day even passes, they're emailing me another property that they want me to show them because they want to buy again. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's, that's my uh, understanding and me saying that I'd rather have a clientele that's going to continue to keep being repeat buyers more so than a luxury clientele. That makes sense. Uh, that's something I hadn't thought of. It's there's <laughs> you you have more repeat business with investors because they're approaching it differently than if someone's moving into the property. Because ideally, if you find them the right house, and they'll be have moved in for a decent period of time, and then there it is. But you can get referrals from them, but it's just you know it's it's not likely um, as repeat of a customer as the investor. Absolutely. With the the properties that you do, I mean, I mentioned this because you put in your bio that you're a rehabber and an investor. What type of properties do you rehab and invest for your own personal portfolio? Well, I like to go uh, on the lower end simply because of the type of money that I'm working with it. I always use cash, so I'm looking to do smaller deals more so than the larger ones. Lots of investors don't like to deal with banks as much. And of course, you and I both know the reasons why, but some of the listeners might want to know that sometimes it's just better to use the cash that you have and and build capital first and then use your cash than uh, jumping through hoops for the bank. Walk us through a maybe a one past deal that you've done for rehab as far as the numbers and the story behind the property. Sure. This has been quite a while back, but it it still just resonates in my mind. It's an inner city property, and I bought the property for $12,500, and there was really not much rehab needed. I believe it was less than five grand in rehab. So I had about five grand in it, and the person that was interested in purchasing it, she was on the Section 8 program. But our Section 8 program in Wisconsin has where... They have a home buying program. So I had her in this property for maybe about 18 months. And she paid $9.50 a month for that 18 months. And with me also having a mortgage background, I actually was able to help her qualify to get a loan through Wells Fargo Bank. And she ended up paying me $34,000 for the house. So when people think they can't make money on those smaller deals, it's absolutely not true. As long as your numbers can work and I make sure that they do, then it can possibly be a good deal for you. Mm, that's interesting. She paid you nine fifty for 18 months, which is $17,100. 
which basically if you you bought it for twelve thousand five hundred, put in five thousand, so basically it's a wash. And then on top of that, did she pay you thirty four thousand? Yes, that's exactly what happened. So. Lots of people, they like to stay away from inner city properties because they don't think they can turn a good enough profit. And that's just so not true because there's a lot of lower income buyers out there. And that's an untapped market that people are missing. And if they can just work with someone to help get those credit scores up, then they'll have a viable opportunity for working with these people that no one else would necessarily want to help. You can make money on those smaller deals because I've done it and it has worked. With that property, since you said Wisconsin, I assume that was in Milwaukee? Yes. How did you find it? And did you have to pay 12500 up front for the purchase? No, because uh, I actually found the property on the MLS. Um, I was a avid MLS person. At the time, I do believe I was a real estate agent at the time. And we have the access to the best deals. So with that in mind, of course, we just have to show our proof of funds and maybe a thousand dollars earnest money. And upon closing is when we actually had to come up with the remaining balance, maybe anywhere from three weeks to 30 days later. Okay. So once you came to the closing table at that point, did you have to bring the 12,500? How did that work? Well, Again, the earnest money was given up front to keep me in the to the deal. And uh-huh. then the remaining balance after all of the credits were given, then the remaining balance of that twelve thousand five hundred I would have to have either wired to the title or bring a cashier's check to closing for the remaining balance. Because you realize we have to have the uh, credits in regards to the tax prorations mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So with those deductions made, then whatever remaining balance was left from the settlement statement, that's the amount that I would need to bring to closing. And of course, I would know that at least a few days in advance of that. Okay. And do you remember how much that was that you had to bring to closing? It probably was around maybe eleven grand. Okay. So that was eleven grand cash that you had to bring to closing? Yes. Okay. And then the 5K rehab, again, that was cash out of pocket, right? Yes. Okay, so it's basically at about $16,000 that was out there. And then did you have the Section 8 buyer before you closed on the deal? Yes, I did. And that's one thing that I wanted to bring up. I'm glad you made that point because it's good to have a good referral system going and people that you know in the community that might know some of these people that you can help because this was actually a cousin of mine's girlfriend that got put into the property that was on Section 8. And everybody that knows anything about Section 8 knows that it's pretty much at least a sure bet for at least a year if it's not a bad tenant, a year at a time. So she was a good tenant. This was a five-bedroom home with two full baths. And she was crying about space from the last property that she was in. So she, (laughs) you know, she was kind of scrunched up in the place that she had. And she was a kind of uppity girl. (laughs) I didn't think that she would want to come in your city to take a property like this, but the property met all of her needs. Mm-hmm. It was definitely on a busy street in an area where there was a bus line if her kids needed to get on the bus and she just loved the property and it all worked out. And in the end, her mortgage ended up only being $347 a month. 
So you were showing her the house before you closed on it. I showed her the house in its present state and it's as is condition. And she mm-hmm. fell in love with it from that. And I realized that some people, they just don't have that kind of vision for them to be able to see through it. But it had all the space and all the bells and whistles that she wanted. So it really ended up being a good deal for the both of us. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You split your time between Milwaukee and Atlanta. Why do you do that? Why do I do that? Because, of course, I'm running both businesses myself. I did have some staff in the past in Wisconsin, and those staff members did not work out so well. So I've been kind of picky on who I want to hire, even though I do have about 14 people in class right now to obtain their real estate license in Wisconsin. But again, I like the change of pace. I like the change of environment. Um, Of course, I'm away from that below zero weather right now because I am in Atlanta right now. (laughs) So that's another reason. One of the other reasons why I split my time is because I saw that the requirements were not difficult for me to be able to get my broker's license because Atlanta has reciprocity in every state. So if you can prove up all of your credentials for one state, it's really not that difficult for you to become a broker in Atlanta. Most states, they have a lot more requirements for you to have to deal with with trying to become licensed in their state. But Georgia seems to be a little bit lax with anyone who's already can prove up their experience and their credentials and background checks and things of that nature. You mentioned that staff members didn't work out so well before. What did you learn from that experience? Very good question. That we have to be mindful of the people that we're having in our circle and bringing onto our team. And um, I want to mention what happened briefly with one of the agents that I had on staff. She happened to not first pay her dues because there's a yearly dues that we have to pay. She didn't pay that, so she was automatically terminated. However, she went out trying to do a wholesale deal, not being properly licensed. This was after she was terminated from my company. She had on LinkedIn that she had moved on to another company, which, again, was not true. And she took advantage of an Asian couple with a wholesale deal, a property that was already bought and sold by someone else, and she jacked the price up on that property. And as a result, she asked for a large amount of earnest money down, and I guess they became a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe things weren't going well in the deal, and they started doing some investigations. Long story short, they started scrounging around trying to look for that agent in my office, and she no longer worked there. So, of course, they contacted the state, and the Uh state sent me, yeah, the state sent me, uh, right up. I'm responsible <laughs> for whoever I hire. And mm-hmm. with that being said, she got a complaint. I got a complaint. Now I have to respond. I have to save face and try to get myself out of the situation because of her, me not even knowing what happened or what took place with the deal. I have to call these customers because all her contact information was on the sheet. And it showed me what she did. It showed me the offer that she wrote and She was as green as the grass outside, never had written an offer before because she was my assistant and she was licensed, but she didn't have any knowledge about writing the offer, even though I showed her multiple times. But just on the strength that she wasn't licensed, that was a violation right there. As a result, she's got her license revoked for five years. 
They said she has to pay $660 to them if she decides she wants to try to apply again. And she has to sit down with a panel of people and they should decide whether she should come back and get a license again. What type of questions or what qualification process do you go through now with your potential new hires that you didn't do before? Well, of course, the background check, and of course, that was clean already. There was nothing with this person that I would have thought made me think that she would do anything like this. One of the reasons is because she was actually a prior mortgage customer of mine that I had in the past. So I had some relationship with her, and I knew her for the last, I want to say, anywhere from seven to nine years. And everybody that I had in my office, I had some kind of relationship with prior to me hiring them, which is why I thought I could trust them. But that's not always true. It's not about how long you know a person. And that's where the divide comes in. A person that you might know and have known for a long time could be the very person that'll stab you in your back. It could be a stranger on the streets that might come into your company that'll do a better job than a friend or a family member would. So I might want to try to work with individuals that are not as close to me anymore because it seems to be more of a hindrance and a burden and a problem more so than a help. And at some point, you just chalk it up to, well, people do crazy things. You know, it's like <laughs> you can have so you can have so many procedures and the processes in place, but at the end of the day, you never know what a human being is going to do and how they're going to react regardless of how you qualify them, right? That's very true. But I've learned as far as renting properties to them or trying to help family members and things like that, sometimes it can be touchy-feely. And I know that some of my family members and my friends have been some of my worst customers. And then some of them have been my best customers. So again, you really can't never tell. You really just can't. Tamara, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, my best real estate investing advice ever would be to do multiple things in real estate. If you're able to create multiple income streams in real estate, which involves buying and flipping, buying and holding, wholesaling, if you can create multiple income streams that way, then you'll be in a better position and a better situation. Lots of people want to leave their nine to five jobs to do this. So in order for it to really happen in such a way, lots of people might want to buy some multi-units to be able to replace the income from their job because that's exactly how I got started. When I got started, I was actually a Milwaukee public school teacher. And what I did is I bought a bunch of properties and I replaced my income first before I jumped out here to do this real estate because I knew this is where I wanted to be. So I bought a bunch of properties and I started collecting that income first. Then I jumped out there and I started investing in real estate after that. Out of all the different areas of real estate that you do and have done, what's had the best return on your time? Hmm, that's a very good question. I just think all of the ways that I've invested had a just a little bit of everything in them to make me feel like they were all a good profit. I mean, it just depends on a person's situation. If they're looking to get a big chunk of money up front right away, then the best approach will be to try to do a property flip. But if they're looking for some long-term residual income, I think the best opportunity is for them to buy some multi-units or buy multiple single families. Then that way the residual income can come in that way. If there's one deal 
that you'd go kicking and screaming if we took it away from your background and you'd be like, you better not ever take this one deal away from me again. Uh, what would be that one deal where you just absolutely would want to hold on to it? Whether it's a transaction you've had with an investor and that's built a relationship or whether it's a buy and hold that you've done, what's that one deal? Well, believe it or not, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I just purchased a four family. And you're not going to believe this when I tell you that this four family was only $13,000. I believe it, but what condition was it in? <laughs> well, you know what? That's funny that you say that because this property was fully occupied. <laughs> so okay. if you, if you want to talk about kicking and screaming, then this is where it is, okay? It's an inner city property, but it's in a location and area that was up and coming. And it is designed in a rooming house way because if you drive by it, it might look like a duplex to some, but it isn't. It's actually a four unit building upstairs. There's three units that are efficiencies. And then downstairs, there's one two bedroom unit. Upstairs, there's a shared restroom. So it's, it's a rooming house style, but downstairs, of course, the two bedrooms is a two bedroom house, but it's nothing but a cash cow. I bought the property, of course, I received a commission and I turned around and again, it's my property. So it's been nothing but a cash cow. And I would go kicking and screaming if somebody had to deal with it <laughs> because it was completely occupied, uh, pulling in over two grand or something a month. The bills are not high. The um, taxes are not high. The cap rate is, is higher than 10% on this deal. What are the rents in total for that property? Okay, it's 600 downstairs for the two bedroom and then all the rest are 500. Yeah. So is that 15, 2100? 2100 $2, $2, yeah. a month. How far away is it from where your office is? Not even a good 5 to 7 minutes. It was an excellent deal, no brainer. Uh it came with a, a coin washer and dryer set up where you could charge the the tenants for it was a coin laundry in the basement. No major issues with the property, only, you know, minor cosmetics. I, I had to do very little to the property when I bought it. And I still have that property right now today. And like I said, I would kick and scream if anybody yeah. tried to take that one away. I, I don't blame <laughs> you. <laughs> How did you find it? Actually, it was an investor that I was working with that had multiple properties for sale. And this was one of them. I guess everybody else did not see the value like I did in it. You know, there's a law that comes with being a real estate broker, a real estate agent when you're trying to buy your own listing. So I had to make sure that I marketed the property long enough for the open market to see. And when nobody jumped on the deal, I jumped on it. I bet you didn't market it too loudly, did you? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Did you? Because I have to have integrity with my job and my business and no deal or anything else is worth me being in a position to have to give my license up for not doing the right thing. So oh, I, yeah. I had to put the property out there long enough and I was happy when nobody jumped on it because I saw the value in it. I'm not an agent, so I'm not familiar with those rules. That's interesting. You're managing it yourself? Yes. When did you buy it? How how long ago? Back in 2000 and 
twelve. What type of maintenance has had to be done between then and now? Just minor things like window screens, uh, making sure I keep smoke detectors up, fire extinguishers because they want us to have like a, a fire inspection. All multi-units have to have fire inspections done by the city of Milwaukee. You know, some scraping and painting on the exterior, floor tile, just minor cosmetics, nothing major like the furnace and stuff going out. None of that. What type of turnover have you had since you've had it in, for the last three to four years? Not much, because one thing I didn't get a chance to mention is that I pay the utilities, so. Ah, okay. It's master metered? Yeah. Yeah. And when it's all master metered like that, they don't care what the situation is. I can do what I want to do, but they want the owner to pay. And believe it or not, the utilities are not that bad. I would think that would it be in a four unit that I would be paying a lot of money, but I don't think it runs maybe about 300 a month, maybe. 300 a month for electric and water or just the electric? Electric and gas. Mm-hmm. And you pay the water too? Yes. Master meter, I suspect that's one of the reasons why it wasn't purchased because it probably scares investors. If I see a master meter apartment community, I will not buy it unless there's a way to convert it to individually meter just because residents tend to take advantage of that and, you know, it's... 90 to have been 90 degrees whenever it's really cold outside um, or if it's really hot outside then it'll be like 30 degrees inside their apartments there's one unit that controls all the units <laughs> and you're one. very good friends with the people in that one unit aren't that's, you <laughs> that's right there's one unit that controls all the units and the other thing is in milwaukee you're entitled to be put on a budget if you want to so that the bills don't get too high and that's important you know, what do you mean by that? Well, they have a budget program where they kind of add up for the, like the last year or two what the bills actually were, and they give you an estimated amount that you should pay monthly so that you don't have to pay too much. And then at, oh, okay. the, yeah, at the end of the year, a lot of times I get a credit. I have to tell you that I, I received, I want to say, between a five and $700 credit as a result of this budget. Interesting. And it was helpful. Wow. Two very cool case studies. I'm glad you shared them with us. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Did you achieve all your real estate goals in 2015? Well, if you did, congratulations. Fist bump to you. If you didn't, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. Trevor McGregor is my business coach, my real estate coach. He's also been a guest on the show, episode 320. He is offering a free coaching session for the best ever listeners. Just go to coachwithtrevor.com and it'll help you to achieve your real estate goals in 2016. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I read was a book called REO Boom. Hmm. And maybe people don't understand what REO stands for. It's called real estate owned. And with that in mind, these are the bank owned properties that came on the market after the market crash. And the bank owned a bunch of these properties. And this was a way to talk to us about how we should get into the business. I thought it was very interesting. It talked about all the banks and their processes and how a broker would get signed up with these companies to start obtaining these REO listings. It talked about where to look for these REO properties and everything dealing with foreclosed homes and investing. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? 
my best ever growth experience. As far as being in this business, I know that everything that I do as far as the multiple income streams has been the most lucrative in order for me to not have a nine to five. I would be telling anyone that is trying to get into business right now to just make sure that they're liquid before they jump into the business because you can lose your shirt if you don't have a plan in place. That's the best advice I could give someone to have some money saved up, have some reserves saved up. Because even if you're going to the bank to get a loan, they're going to want to see that you are liquid enough and that you have money for repairs and money for reserves. If it's time for you to get a loan, they want to make sure that you're going to be able to afford it and be able to do maintenance on those properties as things come up and arise. To follow a path similar to yours, how much would you say they'd need to have in their bank uh, to get going? Well, it's going to depend on uh, what price range they're looking in. If they want to do inner city stuff that might need work, they'll probably need about 20 grand saved. But there's a lot of people with good credit that can use hard money lenders to be able to get properties with if the rates are not too bad. And some of them will lend 100% financing on these deals without them having a bunch of money up front. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I've done was the one I just told you about on 27th. Yep, agreed. Okay, I I love that one. Listen, I really can't get away from that one. That was the best ever deal because I got my rent on time without fail with that deal. And even after the 18 months passed, she turned around and purchased the property from me. And I walked into that deal with not too much wrong with that property to begin with. So all around, it was the best ever deal. And I can also say my four family, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't see of any other deal where um, a place is fully occupied with no major maintenance issues with it. Best ever way you like to give back? My goal for 2016, I can talk about, I'd like to work with helping some disabled people get into homes. There's a lot of disabled people, which is an untapped market of people who can who think that they can't buy homes just because they get social security or they're disabled. I'd like to work with some contractors who possibly can build wheelchair ramps for these people and modify these homes so that these people can live in maybe a single family home of their choice rather than staying in an apartment. Uh, they think they can't buy. So it's again, it's an untapped market. And also working with people who have less than perfect credit because I'm an expert with helping to get people to get their credit scores up so that they they can get financing. Of course, I told you I used to own a mortgage company in the past, so I'm no stranger to all of the guidelines and benefits and all the types of things the lenders are looking for when qualifying for a home loan. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? To be honest, I don't want to call any of it a mistake. And one of the reasons is that Every experience that I've ever had was a learning experience. And I think that with everything that you do, you have to look at it as an experience and learn from any mistake that you ever make in the business because that is a growth for you to do better. I wholeheartedly embrace that approach. I'm going to rephrase the question. Knowing what you know now, what's something that if it were to come up again, you would do differently? I would caution anyone who might be afraid of 
purchasing any inner city properties to make sure that they have a strong plan in place as far as their rental process and their rental candidates and knowing how to properly screen the people for these places and maybe connecting with enough agencies that may be able to provide you with funds with these tenants coming into the place. There's a different uh, agency for different things that will pay for certain people to be in your properties and it's income security. And lastly, what's the best place the best ever listeners can find you? Where, where can they get a hold of you? Oh, I can give you my telephone number at 404-536-3479. That's my Georgia number. And my cell phone number is 414-949-5566. That is my business office line for Wisconsin. Tamara, I loved our conversation. I'm, I'm so grateful that you uh, joined us today and shared your story. These two case studies, boy, they stand out to me, that's for sure. The $12,500 purchase, 5K rehab, you partnered up with the, the Section 8 program, and uh, that individual paid 950 bucks a month for 18 months, basically recouping all your out-of-pocket costs then gave you $34,000 for the house and then four family property where you paid $13,000, which, you know, it's a little bit more than $3,000 a unit, but it was fully occupied, then bringing in $2,100 a month. Sure, there's a master metered component, but it sounds like you've got that taken care of and then management of it as well. Uh, really, really um, enjoyed digging into the details of both of those case studies and hope you have a continued success with what you're doing and I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you and I appreciate your time and having me on your show today and again I want to tell everybody out there to not be afraid of the inner city properties. You look at the numbers and the profit, don't be afraid of them. If you are afraid, then get a good property manager. There's a lots of people that have been all over the place that don't even live in this state that have these properties. And you don't even have to go there if you don't want. It's a numbers game. Learn how to play them. Thanks a lot, Tamara. Take care. Did you achieve all your real estate goals in 2015? Well, if you did, congratulations. Fist bump to you. If you didn't, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. Trevor McGregor is my business coach, my real estate coach. He's also been a guest on the show, episode 320. He is offering a free coaching session for the best ever listeners. Just go to coachwithtrevor.com and it'll help you to achieve your real estate goals in 2016.